Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On today's show, we have a ProMod champion, a top fuel rookie, and a noted drag racing journalist. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Let's talk 2019 successes and 2020's future. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. I am your intrepid host, Brian Loans. Thanks for tuning in again as we have a fun episode this week. Three guests on the show. Two of which have uh, two of which have been in the sport of drag racing a long time, and one of which is a younger guy who is promising to make a big splash here during the 2020 season. The two veterans we have, of course, I mentioned a pro mod champion. That's going to be Stevie Fast Jackson. Going to catch up with him and talk about his offseason, talk about uh, obviously what 2020 has in store. But most importantly, we're going to talk about what he's got coming up in the next couple of weeks because, well, the pro mod season for NHRA starts in Gainesville. His racing season uh, really doesn't end, but officially begins in 2020 uh, in just uh, about seven days as he'll be racing in Florida at the U.S. Street Nationals at the NHRA-sanctioned track Bradenton Motorsports Park. So we're going to catch up on that topic of conversation, as well as everything else Stevie Fast Jackson has going on. We're going to have Justin Ashley on the show. Justin, of course, made a splash for himself last year, uh, ran a couple of races in his influencer Top Fuel Dragster, the race in Charlotte, uh, kind of a breathtaking performance for him there with multiple reaction times in the 040 zone, some upset victories, and a guy who uh, really did help shape the way that the countdown went down. He was um, not overwhelmed by the moment, not overwhelmed by making that big first start. And for the 2020 season, I believe the plan is for him to run about 12 races, depending on what funding says, maybe more, I'd suppose. We'll find out if he can scrape up some more dough. And then the other side of that is also he'll be in contention for Rookie of the Year honors in 2020. He did not not run enough races to qualify for it in 2019. Kind of a smart move on his part. Just in the fact that we had some really big names making their rookie debuts in 2019. So it'll be interesting to see who the other members of that field will be in the 2020 season. But Justin certainly promises to be a factor in any discussion when it comes to rookie of the year honors. He really has taken a neat route to get to this point in top fuel. He's had success in a fuel dragster and has worked his way up. His dad, of course, Mike Ashley, a decorated national event winning drag racer as well. And uh, somebody that had made a lot of headlines over the years in the pro mod category and a Nitro Funny Car as well. The third guest we'll have on the show, not necessarily in this order, will be Bobby Bennett, the owner and editor-in-chief of CompetitionPlus.com. And Bobby is a guy who's been reporting electronically on drag races for about as long as anybody has in the history of mankind. And he has been around in the sport of drag racing as a journalist for many, many years, starting as a kid back in the day at the old uh, Spartanburg Dragway down in the Carolinas where he's from. So we're going to catch up with Bobby to get a uh, kind of journalist perspective on what he sees for the 2020 season, uh, a little bit of the history that he's been involved in in his uh, course of time in the sport, and to kind of get um, just kind of his overall view of what's going on in drag racing, not just in the NHRA, but out and around the NHRA as well as this spring season. Well, the NHRA season kind of pulls out of the station like a locomotive. We go to Pomona, then a couple weeks off Phoenix, then a couple weeks off Gainesville, then a couple weeks off Vegas, and the momentum kind of picks up really in in the late April time frame. Uh, The outlaw drag racing world goes like gangbusters during this very early part of the year, and so Bobby is uh, always involved in that side of things as well. That'll be part of the conversation. 
in terms of notable news that has broken so far early in this week, which is uh, about the third week in the month of April, fourth week in the month of April, basically. Uh, Jerry Savoy has announced he's going to run a full season in the pro stock motorcycle category, which is great news. You know, Jerry last year said he was going to step back, which he did start to step back and then became a factor in the championship and came within one uh, misfiring motorcycle of winning the pro stock motorcycle world championship. And uh, he's decided that he's going to make a full pull run at it for the 2020 season. Love the white alligator racing team. Love to have Jerry out there. And um, it's fantastic for the class that he will be competing in the full season. Now, the interesting thing is, as many of you know, one of the major rule changes in Pro Stock Motorcycle is the allowance of a four-valve cylinder head for the Suzuki motorcycles. And that four-valve head could be a game-changer, might not be a game-changer. Jerry, um, as well as Tim Kalungi and his crew, so far, they claim they're going to stay with their two-valve setup, which they run and have run successfully um, of course, to the end of the season last year, they are going to get themselves one of those heads and start testing with it. But it sounds as though he is going to start the season with the tried and true combination that they have had success with, which does seem to make some sense. And then you can roll in the new stuff as you get some test laps on it through the season. Will be interesting to see the effect that that four valve cylinder head has for the Suzuki motorcycles, which were very competitive over the course of the year, especially in the back half of the 2019 season. Things continue to be fairly quiet on the other class side of things, uh, TJ Coughlin is currently, as I speak, down in Bradenton, Florida, making license runs in a pro stock car. That's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. I'm expecting to see some more news regarding that, not just the fact that he is licensing, and maybe we'll get a reason why he's licensing in that car outside of his own uh, personal enjoyment of driving a pro stock car. It would be great to see him in one of those things. Of course, a guy who is a killer sportsman racer who has done a fantastic job in an A-Fuel Dragster, who has driven top fuel, has been a pro mod racer as well, has been in the seat of pretty much everything you can think of in drag racing. It would be great to see him in pro stock as well. So we'll find out, uh, I'm sure, over the next couple of weeks what the JEGS team has on tap for TJ and what the plan is there. The Elite Motorsports Group is down in Bradenton with six pro stock cars. They have two new drivers coming out for the 2019, or I should say the 2020 season. i got to fix that in my own brain. Um, one of which is Marty Robertson. And for those of you that have followed drag radial competition, outlaw-style drag racing, you know that Marty Robertson has owned and driven a lot of fast stuff. And it's cool to see him making the move into NHRA Pro Stock. My understanding is from having some conversations with folks that are down there witnessing the testing that's going on is that he has taken to it like a uh, duck takes to the water. So um, apparently Marty very comfortable in that Pro Stock car and they're going through some very methodical setups with these guys. My understanding is, you know, one day was basically spent just doing burnouts. One day will be spent basically just staging the car properly. Um, this is all very basic sounding stuff, but in a pro stock car specifically, if you've never done it, um, the idea here, of course, is to come out and be competitive from the first race and not go ahead and look um, like a rookie. You want to come out here and look as comfortable as you possibly can and do the things you can do in testing. Some people don't have that luxury. We've seen pro stock racers come out and basically make their debut um, in what they would call in the military in a live fire exercise. You come out and effectively make your debut um, in your first competition laps at a national event. And while that is cool, uh, it is never successful. And not only is it never successful, it can be downright scary to watch at some point. So when you're able to have this test time, you're able to get to Bradenton where the gates are locked. The only people in there are the race teams that have paid to test. It is a, you know, there is no live studio audience per se. 
It's a much more comfortable environment for the racers, certainly much more comfortable for the teams and the crews that are working on the cars as well because they can really break down and analyze what's happening without the rush of needing to be in competition. So looking forward to seeing new faces in Pro Stock this year. Chris McGahey's son will be coming out making some runs in Pro Stock this year as we understand that his car has been completed. They have uh, been doing some basic stuff with him. They started doing very basic testing with him last year, and he's going to be on kind of the same program to say that the elite drivers are on, meaning that he's going to be very methodical in what he does, and he will not be showing up to a national event until he's 100% fully comfortable inside that car. And uh, his dad, of course, Chris McGahey, multiple-time NHRA national event pro stock winner, great competition eliminator competitor. Lester McGahey, of course, very proud of his grandson as well. So that's going to be another another great story in pro stock. I mean, right now we're talking about an additional three cars over the course of the season, and my understanding is we could be talking four or five cars when it comes down to other names and other programs that are going to be announced in the next few weeks. So Pro Stock uh, on the rise very, very vividly here and uh, should pay off pretty well during 2020. Of course, another big story in the Pro Stock season as well as the pro mod season is the announcement of the world door slammer nationals happening the weekend before gainesville in march that is going to be fifty thousand dollars to win in pro stock fifty thousand dollars to win in pro modified and well the pro mods of over the last several years have run for the big money in denver and other places it has been a very long time since pro stock has had any sort of hoopla around it like this that doesn't concern a national event. So that is going to be a really, really cool deal happening at Orlando Speed World on March 6th to the 8th. That is the weekend before Gainesville, a time when a lot of teams would be testing in Florida anyway. Now they can go race for 50 grand, and they'll have a couple of races under their belt. So um, they'll have some pretty good tune-up information. The Pro Mods will be down there in force as well, getting ready for the same race the Pro Stockers would be, and they will not have had any races under their belt. So A lot of discovery will be happening for those teams at that event. So there you have it. Some early season storylines here, some news that's been shaping up, kind of trickling in. As I make this show early in this week, I'm expecting more announcements to be made later in the week. We'll find out if that's the case and when the news breaks. We will certainly have it here on the podcast, and you can check NHRA.com for all the breaking news as well. I understand there may be some more big news on the horizon for Pro Stock names, big name drivers making announcements too. So all that's going to be going on over the next couple of weeks as the ramp up to the running of the Winter Nationals continues here in the world of NHRA drag racing. We talk about the Winter Nationals, we talk about history, legacy, all that kind of good stuff, and you know, when we talk about drag racing journalism, we got to talk about kind of the same thing. Some of the biggest names in drag racing journalism over the last several years have stepped out of the game. They've aged out, you know, guys that, uh, the Steve Reyes of the world, the John Ashers of the world, some of the really big name reporters over the years, Dave Wallace, that have helped inform us and shape the kind of direction of the sport have uh, gone on to greener pastures, enjoying the uh, slower pace of life that does not include living on the road constantly. One of the guys that was influenced by those people over the course of his career and actually ended up hiring them and still works with some of them now during his modern career is Bobby Bennett, who is the owner, editor, publisher, chief bottle washer and cook at competitionplus.com, a guy that uh, many of us, including me, have worked for over the course of our drag racing careers, and we welcome him as our first guest on to the NHRA Insider Podcast, Bobby Bennett. How you doing, man? So we welcome our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. His name is Bobby Bennett. How you doing, man? Man, I'm just I'm just enjoying life. One <laughs> one news story at a time. 
Yeah, we'll get to the whole news story thing here in a little while because, uh, you know, as, as we're starting to see stuff's rolling out, you broke the story about uh, Jerry Savoir running a full season next year in Pro Stock Bike, and we know there's more stuff in the pipe. But before we get there, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about Competition Plus and kind of where you're at right now because, you know, you've been doing this, as I said in the opening of the show, basically longer than anyone on planet Earth as far as reporting on drag racing in a professional way online so talk a little bit about where competition plus is now and uh, and how it climbed to this spot well it was the both the best and craziest decision i ever made in my life uh you know we just you know and, and i think it could be summed up with the way that it went when i went to sell my first ad to a gentleman that ran a, a company i went into him and i explained the concept of a magazine on the internet now Remember this, this is 1999, <laughs> right? September of 1999, and uh, we were on dial-up, and I think AOL was on 2.0 back when you used to get the, the disc. Yeah, they'd uh, mail it to I you, right? This, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know this is before most of your listeners were alive, <laughs> but, but he said, how are you going to sell me an ad to a magazine I can't take to the bathroom with me? Yeah. And I sat there for a moment and I said, it's coming in the next five years, you'll be able to take this magazine on the internet with you in the next five years, the technology's advancing that quickly. And he says, oh, I just don't see this internet thing catching on. (laughs) Well, guess what? He was right. No, (laughs) right. And, and that's the way that it was in those early days. You know, it was still an unknown commodity. And, well, the Internet was, well, back then reporting was like the wild, wild west. I mean, you may think it is now, but it's nothing like it was back then. And my whole vision was to – now, you got to remember, if, you, if I can go back just a little bit, I was a 13-year-old kid who grew up with visions of driving a demodified production Corvette at Indy. Right. The 13 years old and being the editor of Superstock and Drag Illustrated magazine. Well, neither one of those really worked out for me, so I figured the best thing to do was to create a internet magazine and well, it just it just kind of took off. Sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, and you mentioned it about the Wild West, and I've been doing some research for for something else I'm working on, and I've been diving back in the like late '50s, and um, you know it's amazing how much stuff is available, and I have a big collection of old magazines, and then some other stuff I found, but like there are. I found race reports, you know, the same race reported in three different places with three different results completely. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's the way, honestly, that's the way it was back in the day on the internet too. It was just completely buckshot. Well, it still happens today. But, you know, you know, Brian, one of the things, and, and well, you come from that fraternity uh, of competition plus uh, riders is that, in 1999, I had a vision that we could legitimize reporting on the internet by bringing in trained journalists. And it took me a little while until I could get, get the budget to do that thing. But but the thing that I did was that I wanted credibility for the internet. Yeah. That was the whole big thing. I mean, if we didn't accomplish anything else, it was the credibility factor. And I think that that's what we've been able to sustain for the last two decades. Now, you know, one thing, you know, everybody says, well, I've been working in print for 20 years. 
well, good for you. Working on the internet and media is like dog years. Right. So by that calculation, <laughs> right. I'm 140 right. years in the business. You know, there, there is a level of truth to that. And, you know, th- th- taking nothing away from the guys who have done a great job over the years in, in the print media, which is, you know, I mean, literally evaporating before our eyes. But, you know, it's it's because of the fact that you don't have restrictions on when something's going to print because of the fact that you have other people kind of racing to beat you to these stories they're the idea of hey i'll just develop the photos tomorrow or i'll just resize the photos in the morning or i'll just get this breaking news story up by wednesday doesn't exist anymore you know the the scoop is on the internet the scoop is the guy who gets it first and and you know the downside of that of course and i want to talk to this to this point as well the downside of that is when we have seen people um you know just completely rush stuff that's 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 wrong and you know when when um when Bob Glidden passed away, I think it was about three days before Bob Glidden passed away, all of a sudden these stories start popping up that the guy had died and he hadn't. And that to me just was, that was a very aggravating thing. So let's talk about that a little bit. The balance of speed and accuracy and where where that, uh, where that falls for you. In the end, they'll never remember who got it first, but they'll remember who got it wrong. That's true. And and that that to me is you know when and you've seen this in the nhra championship drag race in the mellow yellow drag racing series you've had some guys come up there and they say man that was a long tree where it had the built-in what seven second delay when it starts you know you're familiar with what i'm talking oh yeah absolutely yeah there's a variation in there like when the you know both cars are staged and there's a variation between i believe a half a second and one and a half seconds something in there yeah yeah so they'll remember when you red light, but they'll remember when you go on green, uh, when you go on yellow and it's a double O one light yeah. and win the race. That's what they'll remember. Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. And it's, it's, um, it's something that I think is, is interesting just to see how, how various places treat it, you know? And I feel like, uh, you know, you're, ob- you obviously do a great job in, in getting news out quickly, but, uh, you know, there are very few, if ever, uh, a retraction. I can remember you guys having to print on something that was like, whoops, we screwed this up. That's just not how you guys operate. Well, you know what? You know, guys, and, and I'll tell you a term that I absolutely hate is fake news. Yeah. I hate the term fake news because, you know what? We are no different than drag racers that sometimes we make a mistake. They make a mistake in driving. Or, or a tuner makes a mistake in tuning. Well, you know what? Shouldn't we be afforded the same same courtesy that sometimes we get it wrong? Yeah, and I think and, I, I agree with you in this point, and I think it goes back to intent as well, right? It's one thing to it's one thing you make a mistake. It's another thing to make uh, a malicious to make a mistake almost on purpose to malign somebody. Yes, that that's exactly it. And, and I tell you, I do not do that. I, that's just. You know, when you do that kind of stuff, you just might as well fold up tent and quit. You know, that's that's just it. You have a, a honor and a reputation and, and to stand up to. And, you know, you screw these drivers, they won't talk to you. Right. <laughs> but, right. But if they now if you tell the truth, they may get mad at you and they may give you the stink eye when you walk through the pits. But eventually you'll get to tell their story again. 
Yeah, and 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 that's something that um, you know that we, that me personally dealt me and Tony dealt with a bunch of last year, and and you know we never went on the air going, okay, we're gonna bury this person today. But if somebody made a horrendous mistake in in eliminations, we didn't just gloss over it. We you know we we. It, and it's not a comfortable thing to do to say, okay, well, this guy clearly, this guy just went 130 in the second round, and that's unacceptable, right? That you're not a professional racer if on Sunday you're going 130 on the tree in a round that you know your championship hopes hang on. So yeah, I I agree with that point 100. percent And you know that leads to that leads to conversations on Monday morning that aren't easy to have or or listen to, but it doesn't lead to somebody begrudging you for lying about them and that's the one thing knock on wood that uh, I never had to deal with and, and likely you never either it's one thing to get the angry phone call but you know as well as I do once that person on the other end of the phone speaks their piece it usually ends with okay we understand each other now and you move on yeah we'll see you at the races I had I had one team tell me one time you are no longer welcome in our pits because we told the truth and well it come to the race and about halfway when there were no reports on their team which was doing good that weekend they said you're, you're welcome in our pits and I said, well well i will i will get back to you and let you know if we decide to come to your pits yeah it works both ways it works both ways you know uh we need the drivers and the drivers i feel like need us too if they want to keep their 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 pipeline to the public and if we want to keep our pipeline to that same public we it's a mutual beneficial working relationship yeah and like any uh and like any relationship or any anything you know you're going to run into your uh your moments of uh of strife and they happen and and you move ahead um i want to talk a little bit about the way this season is going to start and for you and the fact that you know competition plus uh, very wide ranging in their coverage of drag racing um really all forms and all sanctions and all different styles of, of the sport you guys report on um i'm guessing you're going to be a pomona and then i'm guessing you're going to be at donna long's race is that how your year is going to start you would be accurate my friend yeah <laughs> yeah and talk to me a little bit about that i mean um especially in the Donna Long side, because you do, uh, you, you know, you are a primary media outlet for that event. Um, you, you're there, usually have Ian with you or somebody else working side by side that, you know, you guys are hunkered down in the tower. Like we are as the announcers for as many hours a day, if not more than us, uh, cranking the stories out. What keeps you coming back to those events specifically? Well, there's a need, uh, the readers want to keep up with that style of racing, Plus, because it, it's no secret that NHRA Mellow Yellow Championship drag racing is our primary focus and has been for, you know, 20, 20 years here in the industry, uh, it opens up this style of racing to another demographic that wouldn't normally get, get it, you sure. know. And, and what we try to do is we try to put our articles and our news into terms – that the big show racers and fans would understand. And uh, I'm not saying that we're dummying down or anything, but we find a common ground and we report it as such. And when I, when I go to Donald Long's race, we treat uh, Stevie fast Jackson the same way the NHRA would treat John force. Sure. Uh, when we're at the races and well, if you've seen our latest ARP, question of the week poll <laughs> you can yep. see that stevie fast by a large margin is being voted on by our readers as one of the most entertaining drag racers in the business now 
Yeah, and it, how can you? And he's actually going to be a guest on this particular show, so that uh, that's actually a nice little a nice little preview for things to come on this episode. Um, you know, one of the things that intrigues me about that stuff is is you know there is this kind of no other way to say it. it's a it's a thinly managed chaos that those events are and it's it's a thing to me it's a way to experience something in drag racing that I don't think exists outside of that bubble and maybe hasn't existed since the late Bill Donor was putting on races I never got to go to a Bill Donor race I never got to experience what that was but in my own mind 20 25 years from now I feel like you know uh, I feel like people will be asking me about these particular events in that same light these events did you ever see that movie Marley and me <laughs> yes this is kind of like the Marley and me of drag races <laughs> I mean I mean you you know the dog's wild the dog the dog's out of control but you can't help but love it yeah yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. It is uh it's all of those things. Yeah, and it's uh you know and they and it, seemingly when you think that it it can't kind of reinvent itself, it does and and Donald's as creative as it comes as far as promoting himself and the events and has built certainly an aura around the things that uh around all the things that make those particular events so good and well attended and and people seem to love it. Um you know Brian, I have I had the pleasure of working for many years with Bill Donor in the last years of his life, getting to know him, uh, learning the war stories, and, and learning the stories that, uh, well, we just can't tell right. in, in mixed company. But, and when I say this, I absolutely mean this. Donald Long is the modern day version of Bill Donor with yeah. a different style of race car. It would seem like it, you know, it would certainly seem like it. The stories that I've heard about, you know, there, obviously it's a it's a different era of uh, of society, but the fact that there was no political correctness, there was no real filter, there was almost a revel, a revelment in that, in, in walking that status between drag race and almost having a riot on your hands. And it, it, they both guys seem to fall in that, in that mix. Yeah, there there's no such thing as political correctness when you're in the tower. <laughs> With, oh with my Donald god Long. yeah and, and uh of course you can remember my time that the sign when i was working up there when i put up the sign that says i'm not the one to answer your question <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah i'm in it too <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's something else now let's let's kind of transition a little bit onto the uh nhra side of things uh, we have started to see a trickle of news coming out and as I've talked about in the last couple of shows, you know, there are things that um, I, I think those of us that are insiders in the sport have heard that are coming that haven't been announced yet. Are we waiting on some sort of big torrent of news to show up? Is it going to trickle out over the next couple of weeks? What are you hearing and kind of what is your spidey sense telling you? Uh, it's Yeah, it always happens. I mean, when you've been in the sport as long as I have, it always comes. And you have days where, you know, you could sit here and, and nothing happens. And the moment you say, okay, I'm going to call it a day, then all hell breaks loose. And every <laughs> right. other team has breaking news. And, and we've had those days. And, and those days are coming, too. 
they're coming here in the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's what that's what I kind of uh, been telling people, and and uh, I hope they are coming. And it would seem that they are, just because there are things that we know are going to be announced. There are things that we know are going to happen. I, I'm just interested in the timeline, and you know, I'm sure in in a selfish way, I want to get all that out on the ground, but in a in a pragmatic way. I think if we if we look at what helps promotion for the Winter Nationals, I think the closer that news gets announced to Pomona, it helps to create that uh, you know that kind of snowball effect of, of building momentum into the race. Well, I can tell you in your years of being associated with me over the decades that the more vague I am in the rumor section, the more I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. If it's a, if it's a, uh, what are they? If it's an impressionist painting, or it's an, if it's an abstract painting of words in the in the uh, in the rumor section, you have the whole story, and you're just waiting on the timeline to tell it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking forward to this year um, in NHRA drag racing? What are the things that uh, you feel are going to be kind of hot topics to watch, or people to watch, or things to pay attention to over the 2020 season? Well, I could say everybody clamoring to get the first interview with Steve Torrance after what happened last year, but that'd be kind of right. But you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the the fuel ranks ha- uh, come to pass. I mean, with the with the new satellite teams, and that's what we call them, satellite yeah. teams. Uh, and, and I think there's more to come. Uh, you know, I think we saw with Bob Task of the third, you know, and, and we can say he's a satellite team of Don, uh, 100%. Don Schumacher yeah. racing. I mean, that's no big, big secret. But uh, from what I'm hearing, there may be one more to come. And and, and then the, you've got the independent teams, you know, and, and I have to tell you this young Justin Ashley, that team intrigues me, too. I mean, you've got a kid that came out, ran three races. And only lost in the first round at one. Yeah, and he he yeah. will be the he will be following you on the show as a guest today. And you know his um, his debut in Charlotte was electrifying. And and you know whether it's whether you just are numb to the fact that you're competing in your first half fuel event or it's it's just the adrenaline. But when he came up and just started dropping those thirty and forty lights on top of people like bricks, it was like whoa. And uh, really. He, you know, other than what he did, the thing smoked the tire or kicked the blower off it or something. If that had not happened in, I believe, the semifinal, he was going to be heading to the final round of that race. He was. He was on his way to win. And I have to tell you, you watch this kid. I've watched him grow up. And, you know, the thing that excites me is watching when he decides one day to go funny car racing because that first race out of the gate, I mean, if you remember his first NHRA top alcohol dragster race, he won. Yeah, Gainesville, right? Yes. Yeah. And then to make the semifinals in his top fuel debut, winning funny card just has to be a natural. So I would, if I were him when and I ever decided to go funny card, I'd debut at Indy. I mean, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His pop has some good history there. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think about uh, Jim Head and Blake Alexander being teamed up? I, I had Blake on the show last week, and I just, for whatever reason, and maybe I'm just weird, but for whatever reason, I am really excited to watch that kind of mature and partner. It, the partnership is an, it seems odd on paper, but we talked to Blake and it makes all the sense in the world. Well, one of the things that Jim Head is getting now, and, and not, this is certainly no disrespect to any other driver because Jim Head's had some really, really good drivers in there. But see, with, with Blake coming in, he brings a team owner mentality too. Yeah. 
team owner driver mentality. And I can't help but think that that would help some along the way. Oh, he's a good driver too. Yeah. And, and, you know, Blake admitted on the show last week that it did change the way he drove the car, um, especially later in the year after they had killed a lot of parts and stuff. It, It did cause him to be thinking about stuff. And it's, I think it's different. He respects Jim, of course, respects now what it takes to own one of these things and operate it. But I feel like, you know, it, it frees him up a little bit. He will make good decisions behind the wheel. I'm not suggesting he won't, but it takes that level of weight off his shoulder. So I think that's going to be cool. Um, the one, one of the other big unannounced stories that we are expecting an announcement on, NHRA.com even reported on it as, you know, as uh, kind of pending announcement. Karate and Antron Brown back together again. Can they rekindle, in your opinion, what they had going on that brought him championships? They will be in the hunt on the last day of the season. Think so. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There, there's no doubt. I mean, that team, the chemistry there between Mark Oswald and Brian Karate, you know, you look at basically everywhere Brian Karate's run went to, he's basically thrown the kitchen sink at it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, he has. And if you're, if I'm sitting in the seat of a funny car and I see Brian messing in the, the brain box there. <laughs> Holy smokes, I know my rear is going to pucker up when I hit the throttle. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? No, I mean, it's a good point. It's a good point. When he's in there spinning dials and turning knobs, it usually does not end uh, It does not end in a slow run. <laughs> it normally ends yeah. up in somebody going low ET for the for the weekend. Yeah. You'll be going so fast that when you get at the finish line, you've seen those comedy glasses where the eyeballs are hanging out. <laughs> That's pretty much average for a Brian Karate run. And, you know, uh, kind of piggybacking on that question, yeah, we're hearing it's going to be Dan Hood and Ronnie Thompson that are tuning John Force's funny car this year. Um, do you feel as though that tandem of guys can keep John in championship contention? And secondly, um, do you feel like Danny Hood's the right guy to have as the lead on that car? Uh, well, look at the people he's worked with, Yeah, you know, along the way. And uh, he worked uh, – alongside of Brian Karate, even when we were talking about the Mike Ashley Indy win. I mean, he was on that team too. And, and coming up through, and then he had another year with Brian Karate. Now, Brian might not have taught him everything, but I'm sure that he picked up a lot. But he already had strong knowledge, and he's a very good tuner. I I, I see good things with this team, and I see him – I see him being very competitive this year. Plus, you got John Force. The guy could drive a, you know, a, a, a rocket powered tricycle down a dirt road. Now, he might cross the center line and take a right. once in a while, but he's going to hang on and drive that thing to the finish line. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for this opportunity for Danny. I, I feel, as you said, I think 100% that he's earned it. I think 100% he's capable of, uh, of doing what needs to be done there. And, and I think he has, you know, combined knowledge of everybody around him. And of course, a great support system with, uh, with Jimmy Prock and, and the rest of the crew chiefs that are and the rest of the crew chiefs that are, um, around that organization. So, um, yeah, I think, and, and Danny is to me, and, and maybe you can speak to this too, Danny is always a guy who stands in there and answers the question. And for your job and and for mine for several years on the starting line as an announcer, that's a big deal when you know you can actually stand there and ask the guy an honest question and he's not just going to give you a blow-off answer. He answers the question. I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and plus one of the things that we need to recognize is that our sport's not getting any younger. Yeah. 
And, and all the way around, we got to start giving these young tuners their opportunity to jump out there and make a name for themselves so we can continue on the generations of this uh, craft. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And again, looking around, we mentioned Justin Ashley. Of course, Jordan Vandergriff still, uh, I believe, seeking sponsorship. I, I sincerely hope that they find some money there because that kid is awesome, and and we want him out as much as possible. Obviously, Bob Vandergriff will have um, he'll have Sean Reed back, is my understanding, as well as Josh Hart driving a top fueler this year. But Jordan, uh, to me, is a linchpin in that organization. I know you're uh, fairly close with those guys. Have you heard any positive news, or have they just still burning up the phone lines? I never doubt the ability of Bob Vandergriff to come out with a marketing program and marketing partners. I mean, the guy the guy is good when it comes to doing that. And definitely uh, Jordan Vandergriff is important to the longevity of drag racing. And I've even heard that Justin Ashley is uh, – there may be something soon coming out here. Wow. That's all I Thing. Okay, well that's cool. I can hear you smiling on the other it's end of the that, phone, so that's good. <laughs> it's it's that vague rumors kind of thing. <laughs> well, no, that's great. And uh, you know, selfishly, uh, Jordan Vandegrift helped us win a uh, a celebrity softball game against uh, against some folks in Joliet. So just for his athletic ability, uh, we need this kid. We need this kid that's, on the team again this year. <laughs> that's because you guys didn't call me. Well, there was like, an age cap. There was an age cap. Off. See, the problem is there was an age cap that we couldn't exceed. So we, you would have been there if we could have if we could have moved the mark. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby no. Bennett, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, I appreciate all the work that you and your staff at CompetitionPlus.com put in, and appreciate the opportunity about 15 years ago to be part of that uh, to be part of that staff on my uh, journey in the sport of drag racing. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm looking forward to following your coverage uh, from the testing. And then, of course, we will be up close and personal in Pomona. Well, Brian, I couldn't be more proud of somebody than I'm proud of you, of, of what you've accomplished in this sport. You were always a shining star that we knew were going to, you know, go off on his own and do big things. And, well, you've made us proud. And, and you know, a lot of people, you know, look to us for negativity and stuff like that. But all we try to do is report the news as it is and let our readers draw their own conclusion. And, you know, I say sometimes we're critical of the NHRA, but we're also positive of them. And I tell you what about the National Hot Rod Association. We would be lost if we didn't have those guys out here, you know, promoting drag racing. We would be lost. Yeah, and listen, the way that uh, the way the world works, if you – you, you know, you need to me, you know, our country's based on the idea of a free press and, and it keeps things uh, and it keeps things honest in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think as many times as as many times as people in uh, in comfy offices may wince when they read some stuff. Ultimately, it, it's for the benefit of everybody to make stuff better, even if it's not the stuff they want to hear. Well, the one thing that we always strive to do is tell the give the NHRA the opportunity to tell their story. And we'll always do that. Bingo, baby. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. We're going to be. Hey, thanks, uh, Brian. Yeah, man. Have we're going to be catching day. up with a friend of yours uh, in just a few minutes here, Justin Ashley. So I will send him your best. All right. So as mentioned, our next guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, none other than young Justin Ashley, top fuel phenom, guy who's going to be running a bunch more races than he did in 2019. Justin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on because I know you're a busy guy between your, uh, you know, your work life, your your property investment business, and you guys turning houses around and doing all that stuff, as well as now uh, being on top of a top fuel team. Um, I want to start 
not all the way at the beginning because uh, I think a lot of us know about your success in the in the A Fuel Dragster ranks. You win the first national event you came out at in Gainesville a couple years ago. But I want to talk about your beginning in Top Fuel in 2019 and that fateful day in Charlotte when it looked to me you were on your way to your first final round and your first race again, and then, well, things went kaput. So let's talk about that Sunday in Charlotte, man, because it was unbelievable. Yeah, I appreciate it. That uh, that Sunday in, in Charlotte, there was definitely a lot of nerves for me. It was my first career Top Fuel start. It was my first career Top Fuel race. And going into any race, I know the type of team that we have, and I know we're capable of winning every race that we enter. But at the same time, being that it was our first national event, to be able to qualify, to be able to make it that far was a huge step for us and for our team. And it was just one of those things where as you start to continue to run well and go rounds, you kind of start to get that feeling in your stomach like, oh, man, something might be happening. Here. This, could really, <laughs> this could really go our way. Uh, it really would have been a storybook ending like you had mentioned earlier. Um, we were racing Steve Torrance in the semifinals and uh, before we had some some blower belt issues, we were ahead and the car was really running really good. And, you know, that's a testament to this team and Aaron Brooks. And that's what they did all year long. So to be able to start like that and continue to make a lot of runs in order to gather data for the rest of the races was really a big step in the right direction for our team. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you call the car the influencer and, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a nod to social media. But in the, re- the real sense, you had an influence on the championship countdown of the 2019 season, uh, really just through that Sunday. And if you had won that round, there's an excellent chance that we could be talking about somebody other than Steve Torrance as a Top Fuel World Champion. And, uh, you know, you can never – it's like sports. and Like every style of sport, you can look back and kind of see these moments. But, yeah, if the blower belt had hung in there for another couple hundred feet, you may have, you may have really made a dent in Steve Torrance's life. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it is amazing when you think about it. All different sports have these defining moments, and that could have been one of them. And it's just like what they say, football is a game of interest. It's the same yeah. way. It's sometimes just those little things. So let's talk about Aaron Brooks. Um, obviously doing a great job on the car you know, through the, the short stint that you ran in 2019. Uh, talk to me about your relationship with him um, as a very focused new driver versus a guy who's been around this stuff a while and tuning race cars. What's the, kind of what's the communication level? How does your relationship work? Yeah, I absolutely love Aaron Brooks. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to know Aaron from the time I'm young. But this year was the first chance I had to really get to know him on a more personal level and develop a you know driver crew chief relationship. And I think open lines of communication is so important no matter what you're doing, whether it's in racing or whether it's in business. And working with Aaron, we've been able to do that and communicate effectively. The first thing I told Aaron is, listen, Aaron, you need to tell me what I can do to help this team win. I don't care. Whatever it takes, we'll work together to get it done. And Aaron's done such a fantastic job of being able to put our team in a position to be able to do that. Uh, You know, we have a great relationship. I've said it before. I'll say it over and over again. Aaron's my guy. I have his back 100% in all that we do, and I know what he's capable of, and I know that he's a championship caliber crew chief. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to continuing to race together and continuing to grow our relationship on a racing level and on a more personal level. You know, I think one of the most ironic aspects of people that are successful at this level in drag racing is they all have um some patience and you know this is a sport that in in its in its competition aspect does not reward patience at all (laughs) but in the organizational (laughs) and execution aspect of drag racing you have to be patient you have to be almost methodical how difficult has that been for you 
making you know making this move and and you did not rush out with this car which i thought was was a very noble and admirable thing you really did you really did take your time before you showed up so how tough has it been to kind of maintain that patience level yeah sometimes uh it's tough being you know in any really any aspect of life it can be difficult to really be patient uh, especially when you go out there and you want to be successful and see immediate results but you know especially at the nhra professional level this is what these guys do these are the, these guys are the best in the world and these teams are the best in the world so just to be out there is a privilege so that's the first step and then being able to know and understand that we got to go out there and put our best foot forward and in order to do that we had to be patient and we could have gone to some races earlier in the year, but I really don't think it would have benefited us as much in the long run. So it does take some patience and some getting used to, but we know it's all part of the learning curve. We're out here competing against the best in the world, and we expect to be successful, but we know that that takes time. It takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes commitment and dedication. Those things play out over the course of a certain period of time. From what I've read and what I understand so far, you're looking at a 12-race season. Is that locked in for 12 races? Is there any opportunity for a, for an extra one here or there to pop up? Yeah, we're definitely locked in for 12 races for next year. Uh, we, we're considering even doing two more, perhaps uh, two of the Western swing races. But everything is open. We would Nothing would make us happier than being able to go out there and run 24 races. But we'll be there at least for 12 for this year. Very cool. And and. I mentioned this at the top of the show, but one of the things I thought was was very smart in just terms of, and maybe it wasn't the plan directly for this reason, but certainly worked out in that in that manner, is that you did not run enough races to put yourself in the rookie of the year candidacy for last year. And I feel like probably a good thing because we had a log jam, not to say you weren't you weren't qualified, but we had an absolute log jam of, uh, of young, great drivers come in last year. I'm sure we'll have several this year, but I think you're in a better spot as far as uh, perhaps establishing yourself in a, in a field in 2020 than maybe you would have been in 19. Oh, yeah, I certainly think so. I mean, you saw the kind of job that, you know, Jordan Vandergriff and Austin Proc and the other guys and girls who were rookies this year did. They really did a phenomenal job. They were able to come out and compete and run successfully right away. So my hat's off to them. And, yeah, fortunately for us, that was as we started to get toward the back end of the year, uh, we figured at this point we might as well just keep it at a certain, min- you know, yeah. certain maximum number of races so we give ourselves the opportunity to win that NHRA Rookie of the Year this year because that, you know, it really, while it seems like on the surface it's an individual award, it's for us it's a team award. Oh, hell yeah. So yeah. That's something that as a team, that's a goal that, you know, we really want to reach for this year. So we're glad that we were able to keep that in place. You know, we talk about youth in uh, drag racing is very important, obviously, for the longevity of the sport, for the continuation of the sport. But I'm interested, as one of these young guys we talk a lot about, how important is it to you to have competitors that are like in your own generation? And and I mean that in a way that as cool as it is to race against a Chris Caramacinas, as cool as it is to strap into a car against a guy that's been doing it for 40 years, how important is it for you as a competitor, an individual, and someone that's involved deeply in the sport, to have guys like Austin Proc, like Jordan Vandegrift, like Josh Hart, in your same kind of age bracket to, to compete with? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's important uh, you know, for us as individuals, and it's important for the sport. I think it's healthy for the sport, and it shows that kind of that next generation is kind of stepping up and moving forward into the NHRA pro ranks. And I think it's really healthy. When you go back to you know, the days of like the snake and the mongoose and all the different rivalries that NHRA used to have back in the day. I think that 
some of that can start to formulate now. You saw it with Jordan Vandergriff and Austin Proc. Um, I think all that stuff is really good for the sport. And when you have com- people, when you have young guys competing in that same age group, it helps kind of develop and foster those relationships. So it's healthy and exciting for us, and it's fun competition, and it's good for the sport itself. Bobby Bennett and uh, you are working together on a reality series. Several episodes have been uh, have been published already. Talk to me about that process, and it's been really fun to watch. And I, I want to hear first about your impressions, then I want to I'm going to key in on a specific moment. But talk to me about kind of letting people into the uh, into the inside of your lives, and, and it does go pretty far into your day to day life. Yeah, it does. It's really interesting for me. It's something that was totally outside of my comfort zone. I had never had a camera follow me around watching everything that I do. So it certainly takes a little while and it takes a little bit of adjusting and getting used to. But once we did, I mean, it was an absolute blast to film. Bobby's done such a really good job of getting us, you know, behind the scenes and getting the fans kind of the in-depth, all-access view of what happens. And it's really cool because it mixes the racing side and the fix-and-flip real estate side, which is sometimes not so visible unless we do things like this. And I think it's a really good way for sponsors and other companies and and people involved in marketing to to go behind the scenes and i've got a lot of really positive feedback on it it's something that i've enjoyed doing yeah it has there's a like a hard knocks element of it that i really enjoy and i think it's so critical and i think honestly i think it serves as a model for something that a lot of other places including nhra should be producing content like this specifically the moment that i keyed in on the most um, you guys had a test that was, you know, I don't want to call it a disaster, but it was not good. <laughs> and uh, so the, the test was not well. You sat down with your dad, who obviously you go to for a lot of counsel, which is a great guy because he's lived this life and he knows how to be successful at it. And you had to make a hard decision. You had to make a personnel change, something it, it just, as you well know, any business, any team, any whatever, sometimes one of the pieces doesn't fit. You got to make it. You got to make a change. And yeah. the fact that that scene was shot as it was and it wasn't edited around anything. It was you and your dad having a very frank conversation. And it was like, this is hard knocks. I am watching drag racing hard knocks and I'm seeing that this sport goes way beyond the racetrack. Like I'm looking into your life and seeing, wow, this is a tough decision that has to get made and they're making it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so true. I think the, the, you know, the part that's so significant about this reality show is it's actual reality. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it's, you know, this is real world stuff and stuff that's happening. There's not much editing going on. And that conversation with my dad, you know, if anyone knows my dad, he's not exactly one to mince words. Right. So yeah. he was straightforward and I go to him for a lot of counsel and a lot of advice. And this was a very, this particular decision that I, that we had to make as a team to move on from, from Lance Larson, who was tuning our car at the time. And who's a guy I love, I consider family, and I think he's great at what he does, but it's a decision that we needed to make to move on to Aaron Brooks in the best interest of the team and to be able to see that dynamic between my father and I and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to be able to put your team in a position to just get out to the racetrack and run and run successfully. Um, is really a cool aspect of the show. Yeah, no, it was, it was really it was really neat. And like you said, I have all the respect in the world for Lance. It wasn't like I was reveling in that, but what I was reveling in was like, you know, when I watch Hard Knocks, it is when when the coach has got to make the cuts at the end of spring at the end of training camp. It's when they have to make the decisions. That's what the compelling part of the show is. And oh, yeah. agree or disagree, um, I feel like 
what we need to do a better job with in telling the stories of drag racing is how deep this sport runs and how, you know, I, I still have this feeling that a lot of fans think that, Hey, that the team runs on Sunday and then everybody goes to the beach for three or four days and then they show up and do something else. And it's like, no guys, like we need to show the grit and the grind and the work and the blood and the sweat. And I feel like that's what the show does a real, really nice job of. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. That was all part of it. You're absolutely right. When you say that it's a lot of, blood sweat and tears that go into this and uh you know it's all it's all part of you know working toward one common goal which is winning championships and winning racing and all these teams out here you know are out there for the same objective for the same reason and you know more important than anything else we're there because we love to do it yeah outside of your dad because that would be your default answer and i'm taking that one away i'm taking that option (laughs) away from you um outside of your dad when you look around the sport of drag racing, who are people that not, I'm not saying you're trying to emulate them, but who are the people that you look at and go, this person has a program that I need to make sure I am similar to, or this person has figured something out that I feel like we need to make sure that we are doing the same as, or in a similar fashion. Who are those people? Yeah, that's a great question. And you took my answer right yeah, away. See, I told you I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one guy, when I look at programs, I look at how they operate on the track, but how they operate off the track as well. And one guy that's always stood out to me, and I've had a long relationship with him, is Antron Brown. Sure. He, to me, is the epitome of what it takes to be a championship-level driver, but a championship-level person. And I think that he does such an amazing job of representing his sponsors, of representing NHRA, and of representing himself and his team. And he's somebody that I really try and kind of, um, I guess, model my my career after because of all, all the success he's had. And how he's done it in such a humble way. It's a great, that's uh, I, I think that's a, a fantastic answer. Cause you're right. The guy is absolutely cream of the crop. And um, he, you know, he strikes me at, at this point coming into 2020, a guy who, uh, who was going to come out swinging, you know, he was very disappointed in the way his 2019 season went. And I am almost, I am almost, uh, uh, sad for whoever has to line up to that guy in first round on Sunday, if I'm because because he's going to take it out on people, and and I feel like that's going to be a fun story, and not take it out on him in some weird physical way, but in in the competitive <laughs> sense, you know, he feels like in my mind anyway that he has something to prove again, and um, I think that I, I like I said, I'm afraid for maybe who be who might be in the other lane in the early rounds on uh, on Sunday in Pomona. Uh, so let's talk about again touching back on your schedule. Where are we going to see you start? So we are going to start in Pomona. We'll be running the first three races of the year. We'll be in Pomona and then Phoenix and then Gainesville. Great. So that's where we'll start. We'll run a lot. We'll be at the Four Wides in Charlotte, which will be my first experience at the Four Wides. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think that should be a lot of fun. And then we do a lot of stuff on the East Coast, and we finish up back on the West Coast again toward the end of the year at Vegas and Pomona. So we'll be out there uh, first few races of the year, uh, try and get started and kind of get into a little bit of a rhythm. Nice. I am uh, I am certainly no one that's qualified to give advice on driving a top fuel dragster <laughs> or driving a school bus for that matter. But I will say this: at the four wide race, if you're wondering who the idiot in lane three is who's not staged, chances are it's you. That is <laughs> that has been my common the common uh, story I've heard told to me by several drivers is like in qualifying they're like who is the moron in lane oh 
oh, that's me. I got it. Right. <laughs> so uh, you, right. can, you can tuck that with. That's the only piece of driving advice I can pass to, to any human oh. being on earth because I've heard it said I'm gonna to me. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. <laughs> I've, I've had it said to me a bunch of times. So um, just, you know, one last question, I guess, uh, in your in your vision of where you want to be, where, where Justin Ashley wants to see himself in a couple of years um, outside of, I, I'm guessing, outside of a full season, uh, are you seeing this as a as an operation that you'd like to watch expand to a multi car operation? Are you are you content on being a single car team? If if you could look down the road and you can predict the future, where would you like this to be in a few years? Yeah, right now, um, I would say I'm focused on you know building this as a. I'm op- we're obviously open to everything, but I'm focused on building this program to the point where it's going to have sustainable success and be out there every year being able to compete for a championship. And for me right now, that means a one car program. Uh, I'm fortunate to be able to have a lot of help from, from uh, uh, Chip Lofton from Strutmasters. He's actually stepped up and he's going to be extend his primary sponsorship from last year to this year for us. And guys like auto shocker and, and King bearings and Lucas oil. So because of their support, I'm able to get out there with the car that we have in the Davis motorsports team and be able to compete successfully. But in order to set us up for, uh, sustainable long-term success. I think you look at a single-car team with the kind of group that we have and Aaron Brooks at the helm, it's something that I certainly am confident that we can do and do successfully. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, Justin. It's going to be exciting to watch you uh, come out full force, if you will, for this 2019 or 2020 season. I got to fix that. I keep doing that. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, man, it's crazy. No, it's uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, uh, and it's been a pleasure to watch you race, and we'll be in the future. So look forward to seeing you in Pomona. Have a, have a happy preseason test, and uh, we'll get this ball rolling in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you there, and thank you for having me on. Thanks, man. Be good. All right. Talk to you soon. And that is a dude who is most assuredly going places in the world of NHRA drag racing, specifically Top Fuel, Justin Ashley. Great conversation there. We now transition to our last guest, Mr. Excitement himself, the 2019 NHRA E3 Sparkplugs Pro Mod World Champion, Stevie Fast Jackson. How you doing, Mr. Fast? Man, I'm doing awesome. How you doing, Long? Doing all right. So we got to catch up because um, obviously you win the championship uh, last year. Huge accomplishment. But, dude, you got to make like a global victory lap, right? Yeah, uh, if I went any further away from my home, uh, I'd be coming back. So, yeah, we, we, had a, we had a good end of the season and a, and a little bit of fun shenanigans and what we call the off season that's not very much off. <laughs> yeah, so you got to go over to Bahrain. Uh, looked like you had a really kind of nice reception there, and and obviously to deliver the goods to to any sponsor or backer is a big deal. But when it when it goes that high up the chain of another country, uh, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, like when we got over there, you know, we, we had been told that there was an opportunity that we may get to meet the king. Uh, taking the trophy over there and presenting that to him and the royal family, that was a huge honor. It's a it's a life experience that uh, most people don't get to experience, and I'm amazed that uh, drag, where drag racing can take you in life. It's it was it was a a very unique and awesome eye-opening experience. It was cool. So uh, obviously, as always, you know, you 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 guys race like maniacs down there, and you work twenty-four-seven, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. So I want to get caught up on what has been going on as far as prep goes for twenty twenty. Um, the whereabouts of of the Phil Billy. Where is Phil Schuler? Is Phil Schuler part of your operation? Is now Phil by himself? Obviously, he left DSR, moved back down south. What is he doing? What's your affiliation with him? Get me caught up, man. <laughs> so it, this has kind of been in the works for a little while. Um, I've been kind of hush mouth about it until we got it all done. 
Uh, Phil Schuler is now a Georgia resident, yeah, so he's living in the land of milk and honey. Uh, he's standing about 30 feet away from me in the shop working on a manifold, uh, and he is uh, here full time. Cool. So it's a it's a, a awesome addition to our team and um, brings a, a wealth of experience that that will help us uh, going in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, and, 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 you know, how much stronger does it make you? Obviously, Phil's been a big part of your racing life and a big part of and a big part of a lot of the things that you've done. But to have him now, like, full-time on this, how, how much does that change things? Oh, it's a game changer. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of people on – well, there's really – it's hard to find a lot of people in life that has the skill set, experience, and capabilities of what Phil has. Uh, he's been my business partner and friend for for decades, and now to have him here uh, all the time, he's going to be splitting duty between our shop here in Georgia and uh, the Whiteley operation on Jim's Corvette. Cool. And to have that that level of experience and common sense, uh, it's irreplaceable. It, it's few people in life can troubleshoot problems, especially on race cars. There's a lot of guys who can change parts. When you tear an engine up, they can take it out and bolt a new one in. Very few people in what we do that are capable of finding out why something happens, and Phil's one of those guys who who understands the why. Uh, it's going to be an addition uh, not only to our team but the JNA uh, service team as well. And we're looking to bring uh, Bahrain one and the J and A team up to the top of, of the qualifying sheets this year. So you know your your racing season really is is multiple seasons built into one calendar because outside of the NHRA series, you obviously do a ton of uh, whether we're talking about radio racing or other style of door slammer competition. So I guess my first question on that front is. How do you divide that up? I mean, is it is it just it's it's not a calamity, obviously, because you're successful at it. So if it was a calamity, you wouldn't succeed. So if you can give us some idea of how you actually kind of keep things straight in terms of uh, what the service is going on with which particular car, all that kind of stuff, because many times you're bouncing from event to event. Yeah, it's a it's a, a scheduling nightmare. When you say calamity, uh, the the, the engines in the cars, the drivetrains, the powertrains are very different. So it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of parts and pieces. Having people around you that understand it is how it all works. Having a Billy Stockland uh, helping you run the cars and keep it straight. Having uh, Robert, who does our engines, being able to, you know, we got nine engine carts with nine like different <laughs> engines for apart right now. And I walk in the engine room and I'm like, holy shit like how do you like what <laughs> that engine out of and he's like well that's serial number nine zero six four two three eight seven five that's out of the engine that's got 39 runs on it that you want no mercy in and i'm like holy shit so uh you know jack has about uh 400 linko gear sets out there on a rack it when i can i called him yesterday i was like i need a, a small shaft 125 he's like well you got two two of them serial number blah 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 and serial number blah 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 and they're on the left shelf you have to have people around you yeah. to understand the, the goal. You know, I, I tell people all the time, getting quality help is not hard. Getting guys that can see your vision is what's hard. And these guys believe in our vision, our long-term vision, not, you know, not just winning the championship this year in 2019 in NHRA. That's a step to getting to the vision. But, but getting, the, getting them to see the end game is how you get them to care about it. 
the the scheduling the NHRA cars pays the bills and the shadow costs money to run. So the shadow always takes back seat to, to the job. I view the, the the NHRA car as as the job. It's the livelihood. It has to succeed or the rest of the stuff doesn't get to run. So the shadow runs on a more limited schedule. Uh, it comes out and plays when things are going well over here. If, if we end up failing and not running good and struggling, the shadow goes on the back burner. Um, and that's how you kind of have to approach it. I, I treat it, me and Phil have always treated that thing as a, as a toy. We love to run it. It's sponsored, so it has to compete, but not at the level that the NHRA car does. The, the last two months have been an absolute blur. Like my guys, when we left PRI, uh, both cars immediately went to Rick Jones. Uh, the NHRA car had to get a host of new safety updates yeah. to be legal to run. The shadow just needed to be freshened up. We had, I knocked the supercharger off of it, knocked the firewall out of it, and <laughs> tore it up. They're, they're, they're on the way back with the race cars, and we've been on pins and needles here. You know, we're getting close to time to start racing, and I haven't had any cars. Knock on wood, we're going to have race cars that will roll in the shop tomorrow. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, and my guess is you're going to be running the U.S. Street Nationals in Bradenton like a few days after that. <laughs> yeah, the car. <laughs> so like right now, I just want to give you a state. What do they call it? State of the Union. The state. Of, yeah, this is the state of Stevie Fast right now. Yeah. I have no engine. I have no transmissions. I have no race cars. The truck and trailer are decimated. So the battery shorted out in the motorhome, blew the generator up. Uh, we have no generator, no batteries. Uh, the trailer, all the axles are apart because we're putting hub seals in it. So basically, we have nothing that is ready to race. And like tomorrow at about 5 p.m. when they get here, uh, like it's gonna look like a it's gonna look like a nuclear bomb has went off. <laughs> I have been I haven't been public about the U.S. Street Nationals because I'm just simply not sure I can get there. Yeah. But the goal is if if we can get some engine together and get some combination put back together to put in the car is I definitely want to go. Phil told me yesterday, he's like, you should just skip this race. He said, you know, this is going to be a lot to get down there. And like, we, you know, we need, we got other stuff we're working on. We should skip this race. And I told him, I said, Phil, if we don't go, someone else can win. And he looked at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm serious. Like if we're not there, somebody else is going to win. And it's not that you can go and guaranteed win, but you don't want to just let anyone else win. Yeah. Yeah, you get the one way you can guarantee not winning is not being there, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, that'll the be. Off season is killing me. I cannot. I have got to find some racetrack. I need tire smoke. I need burnouts. I need to smell methanol. I can't handle it. I'm going crazy. In terms of uh, you know, in terms of what the testing schedule would be for the NHRA legal car, um, I'm guessing it's going to start. I would. I'm guessing it would start sometime in February. Are you planning on running the World uh, Door Slammer Nationals down in Orlando in early March? Absolutely. Uh, so Jim, Jim Whiteley's car is also about a week out from getting back from the chassis shop from safety updates. The goal is to get Jim's car on the racetrack the first week in February uh, or, or around there right before lights out. Uh, hopefully right after lights out, uh, my NHRA car will be assembled. We're changing some stuff around in the car that's going to take a little longer combination wise. So I'm hoping right after lights out into February, we can start testing. And then we will field two cars. Um, we'll field uh, Jim's car, Jim's Corvette, and my NHRA car, my Camaro, uh, at the World Door Summer Nationals. That's going to be a massive event, and I'm really excited about that race. 
Yeah, me too. Uh, I think that's going to be, you know, the, the payday for pro stock at 50,000 is huge. And, you know, the pro my guys and you yourself personally have run for have run for big money, like 50 grand a lot. But uh, it's a unique experience for them. And I think the it's certainly going to draw the best of the best out there to compete. So um, one of the things you have been doing, despite your insane schedule in the offseason, is producing some great uh, some great social media and online content. Your video on the updates and the safety stuff for the pro mod class was, I think, great. I think it explained explained everything that's going on, especially from the racer perspective, better than anybody could have. And the second video, when you effectively called out every pro mod racer that exists on planet Earth, was even better. <laughs> the the offseason uh is is one of the few times that i have enough time to shoot enough content i appreciate the, the compliment we put a lot into that content uh it takes a lot to get done matt does an awesome job putting it together um the the I, i've only got like 12 or 13 death threats so far uh over the call out video so <laughs> normally i average about 20 to 40 death threats per shit talking video so uh it's funny because like NHRA was is loving me about the, the, the call out video and then the next week they're hating me about the safety video. Uh, hey, you know, like, you gotta you gotta, you gotta keep the seesaw balanced, right? You know? Right. I told him I was like, you're gonna like some things I do and you're gonna really hate some things I do. But <laughs> it, it's important to me to explain to I think a, a lot of times as racers and you know, especially me, you folks that are immersed in our industry, I think we 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 get complacent in, in simplifying and, and explaining it to the casual fan. The majority of our fans out there in our, in our industry, the fans are the boss. I've always believed that the fans pay our bills. No matter where your paycheck comes from, it's paid for because there's fans that watch drag racing. And I think we need to do a better job as a whole of simplifying the process and the cars. And I get so much, I wish you could like one day I'm going to send you my email password to my inbox and I want you to read some of the emails that I get you know we're trying to we're, we're talking about blower overdrive and the casual fan doesn't understand what a Linko is or what a, what a Liberty is so I try to I try to always cater to the people who are hardcore gearheads like me and you are but I also try to, to, to make it simple so we can get some fresh interest in the class super important I yeah tell about why NHRA is trying to stop everybody from racing I feel like I have an obligation to to kind of explain that you know, you can't be biased. You can't just look at it from the racer side. If you did, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you got this big, bad organization that's trying to stop everybody from come racing. You also got to see it from their side. They're, they're legitimately trying to protect us as drivers, and I get it. Um, so I always try to take both sides of the fence and explain it to the fans. And the fact that the death threats are going down with each video means I'm, I'm either they're either really planning it or, uh, or I'm getting better at it. Yeah, I like to go with option B. I'd like to think it's uh, I'd like to think it's option B on that one there. Um, as far as the call out video, I want every. I see there we got some fresh names on the entry list for Gainesville. Yes, and that makes me excited. That is more people to beat on, and there's some specific people that we are going to beat into the ground this year. <laughs> No, it's great. It's awesome. And and the the reception that people get and and it's like it's, you know, I just hope 
people are paying attention that need to be paying attention to this stuff because the reaction that that video gets and the reaction that people and the, and the, the waves that come off it are huge and it's awesome and it's going to have people talking about the Gainesville race like you said in the entry list for uh, for weeks to come it's it's a breath of fresh air and it's and it's fantastic uh, what can you tell us about what the Bahrain One team will look like for 2020 as far as drivers, cars, engines, combinations, that kind of stuff? <laughs> oh, that's like uh, if I told you that, you'd, I'd also have to tell you where Jimmy Hoffman's <laughs> body is buried. Uh, we've had some definite departures of some people. <laughs> uh, it's a. I need a commitment from you in Q1 in Gainesville. Whenever cars go down the racetrack, I need like some armed personnel standing <laughs> near me. Um, so I might need uh, him. Too. I may need him too, man. I may need him too. I've I've had my own interesting conversations on that front. Yeah, we've had some departures and we've got some additions. We'll just leave it like that. We're okay. Left and then we're more, and I don't know where it's going to end up, but I promise you that like I will not stop until what I need to do has been done, and you can take whatever that however you want. Uh, our, our RJ car that we won a championship with is, is fresh and updated. Uh, Khaled Albalushi is going to be coming and running a turbocharged car with Brad Personet uh, at the keyboard. Um, nothing's really changing on my team. Billy Stockland's calling the shots. Uh, Jack and Robert bolting it together. We got Robbie up there. And uh, with the addition of Phil, Phil will be double duty in between. Uh, he's going to be car chiefing on Jim's car. Uh, he'll always be involved with our stuff. Uh, as far as additional cars and drivers, that is uh, to be released at a later date. Awesome, man. Well, that's cool. I always like some mystery. I like I like everything you told me. I like the fact there's a little mystery to it. That's a good thing. Well, just listen to me. If you are a pro-modified fan and you need to cash in your vacation and your 401k <laughs> and you need to be at Gainesville, and you need to be at the World Door Slammer Nationals. The, the thing I like about the World Door Slammer Nationals is they're paying enough money to where all the people that right now are thinking about sandbagging their way through halfway through the year. Forget about I'm going it. To stop that from happening at that race. Because if you want to win that $50,000, I'm going to make you – I want to see what's in your hand. I, I'm tired of having three cards down and two facing up. I want to see what you got in your hand if you want to win that money. And Gainesville Q1 is going to be the same way. Uh, there's going to be some people that fall out and have a heart attack Q1 in Gainesville. Well, I mean, we're going to need to make – we need more than one defibrillator uh, at the racetrack <laughs> on the starting line. We're going to need at least two or three defibrillators. My one major hope for the, that World Door Slammer Nationals event, it's going to be a great show, but I hope that the money drives people, especially for the pro stock drivers – that are you know that don't typically do anything to each other anymore. I hope that the knives come out, and because you know this isn't points, this isn't this is this is fifty grand, and I hope the shenanigans level goes up to a thousand, uh, you know, level one thousand on the starting line because I know it's going to happen on the pro modified side. There's no doubt about that because mm-hmm. that's the way all you guys race. But I'm just praying and hoping that it bleeds over to those guys too. What we need, pro stock and pro mod have a massive fan base. If you're a door car drag racing fan you probably like pro stock and pro mod what we're missing from pro stock is exactly what you're talking about yeah everybody over there has a weakness and what we need to see is those guys and girls finding that weakness and exploiting it and if you will start exploiting other people's weaknesses the other will fall into place my number one goal when i get up in the morning i open up my eyeballs and figure out how i can crush somebody and make them hate their life and race them and if you can kind of get that going over there, it will be exciting. I'm a pro stock fan. I love 
as close as they are. I love watching them come by the finish line with the motors revved up. Uh, they need a little bit more starting line games because there's a lot of people in that class that are vulnerable, and I would love to see some some people exploiting those weaknesses. Yeah. But for 50000 bucks with no points, they got no excuse. Like you said, bring the pitchfork out and let's get the party started. Yeah, and honestly, I hope that translates into, you know, I, I hope – it sounds weird to say, but I hope that happens at that race, and and some of the and some of the bad blood and some of the whatever gets translated into what we see at the at the Gator Nationals and beyond. You know, I hope some seeds get planted there that somebody's going to remember that they got done dirty by somebody else, and they're going to wait for their shot to do it back, and that makes uh that makes all our lives much more interesting. Man, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know that uh, you know you're both ready to click the thing into hyperdrive, trying to try to put your race operation back together. But uh, congrats again on the championship, and I look forward to seeing you hopefully uh, at the U. Street Nationals. If not, I look forward to seeing you sometime uh, sometime before the season gets cranking. So, like, just because I may not make Thursday testing Q1, 2, and 3, don't count me out. If you see the rig coming in Saturday morning about 80 miles an hour, y'all get out of the way. I'm coming in. I'm coming in hot. We'll clear you uh, holding we'll clear hold the fence. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate everything you do for our sport, man. A lot of people behind the scenes don't know how hard you work at what you do. You're awesome at your craft, and and we're all we're all blessed to have you as a, as a as a fan and ambassador for our sport. 2020 is going to be the season for the fan because, like, with the with the new rule package and stuff, it's just we, we may need to get call and get a couple defibrillators for the world. <laughs> I don't want anybody. I don't want any competitors to pass out and not be able to be resuscitated when I blaze that thing down through there. Well, listen, you and me know Ozzy Moya, so we will be self-funding those defibrillators, but we're going to do it for the right reasons. Yeah, Ozzy, <laughs> I talked to Ozzy this week. He said he cannot feel the amount of phone calls that he is getting about this race. Awesome. This is going to be one of those big races. You know, a couple months ahead of, ahead of time, it's going to be good. So uh, I'm excited about it, man. I can't wait to get going. The off season's killing me. If I don't find something to race soon, I'm going insane. All right, man. So, hey, uh, hopefully I'll see you in about ten days. Sounds good, and uh, do your best to keep Schuler in line. It might be a failing effort, but do what you can do. I'm on the hunt. Thank you. See you, man. All right, buddy. They don't come much more entertaining than Stevie Fast Jackson, and uh, you now have the state of Stevie Fast there. His race shop in disarray. Hopefully, he can get his act together and get his uh, his early season started. We know he'll be ready for Gainesville, but we'll see how it goes for him and Phil Schuler, Robbie, and the rest of the crew, Jack, and everybody down there at the uh, race shop in Georgia. Pretty cool episode. I think we saw drag racing from three different perspectives today. The young perspective of Justin Ashley, the journalistic perspective of Bobby Bennett, and of course the racer perspective and the champion perspective from Stevie Fast Jackson. We'll be back. Now, there will not be a podcast next week, but I'll have one for you the week after that. Got some work to do outside of my office, so we'll get back on the podcast horse in two weeks. Enjoy this show. We'll see you again in two weeks on the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans.